As we pick it up in chapter 4, we come to, after the expulsion, it's a fall from perfection. But they're going to live hundreds of years. The world's a little bit different. It's, there's not the four seasons as we know them, although there's times and seasons, as declared in chapter 1. We're told that a mist went over the ground, so it was a, pretty much a perfect climate. The Middle East didn't look like what it looks like now because this is in the Middle East, what's known as the Fertile Crescent, probably Iraq, Iran, maybe even Armenia and uh, that region of the world that the Garden of Eden was. And so they're expelled from there. And from Adam and Eve came all humanity, for in Adam all sin and die. So they had multiple children. The DNA was tight and clean, so it was no problem. The children having sexual relationships and reproducing within themselves. God told them to be fruitful and multiply, and they did, and every human being had the sin DNA in them. We pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought the first fruit of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So in the post-expulsion world from the garden, and we have Adam and Eve going into a very good environment, but it's not the garden. And there they are in marriage. They're already referred to, she's already referred to as his wife. God refers to her as his wife and Adam as well. So this, they're in a marriage covenant, these two. And they're just reproducing human beings who then are reproducing more human beings. And they're being fruitful and multiplying over the face of the earth, which was part of the stewardship God gave them as described to us in Genesis chapter 1. But all their multiplications are producing human beings who have a sinful nature. And we, we understand that. And they're still superhumans in a lot of ways. They have a fallen nature. But again, we are a regression of that glory that they had. I've talked about this, but if reptiles were like this and now they're like that, woolly mammoths were like this and now elephants are like this, saber-toothed tigers are like this and our tigers are like this, and we know that human beings can be very tall. We know there's giants for us later on in the book of Numbers and the conquest of the land with Sihon and Og. They were superhumans. We are a far degeneration, 6,000 years removed from how super they were. And if we can put a Jeep on Mars now, can you imagine what they could do? Just the technology and the science involved in the mathematics of Solomon building the temple is incredible to this day when they study it, let alone the pyramids and things like that. We picture like me, cavemen, eat barbecue. That's the wrong, that's, that's so far from, you need to think like superhumans, superhumans. And not even computers that aren't even tapped into all their capabilities, the, the mind and the capacities, the mathematics, the sciences, and the creativity, all that. Again, Beethoven, Mozart, it, all the, they had all that within them. Everything that we see that's glorious in man is a remnant of the original men and from the fall, the men and women. So they're reproducing, and Eve has Cain, and then she has Abel, these two sons. And in the household, they would have known a lot about the Lord. Obviously, God speaks to Cain in this text. He speaks to him. And they come to present themselves before the Lord. And the idea of a sacrifice is well embedded in them because they both come with an offering for their sacrifice. Cain's was rejected and Abel's was accepted. So we have to ask, first of all, why was Abel's accepted and Cain's rejected? It's important to answer, ask that, and then we get the answer. 
We get it from Hebrews 11 that by faith, Abel offered up an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord. So we know that Abel's offering of the flock was the first fruits and the fat, which is really interesting, by the way, because when God gives the law later on to the Jews with the Mosaic Covenant, to the Levite priest, he says, you don't eat the fat. The fat is the Lord's. And what does Abel bring here? The detail says he brought the first fruits, and the first fruits always the Lord in the law of God, the Mosaic law. It's the first fruits always. The principle, when, when Abraham came back from conquering the kings before the nation of Israel was even established, when he comes before uh, Melchizedek, he gives him a tithe of, the, of what he had. It's the, it's the first fruits of the Lord, that, that acknowledging the Lord with the first fruits always. That's a principle that comes from Adam and Eve for sure. But when they left the garden, they exchanged agricultural covering for animal skins where blood was shed. And again, can you imagine leaving the garden wearing the skin of an animal you'd previously had seen alive and realizing the magnitude of your sin? Often we think of people dying. We don't like people, so it's easier to think of people dying saying, well, they got it coming. And just look at the last, just look at human history. But we are often more empathetic toward animals, toward animals dying. I mean, we have a pet cemetery on Beach Boulevard for Pete's sakes, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, we have empathy that way. And they were out, and their sons come now with these offerings, and Abel comes with faith. He comes with the first fruits, and he comes with blood. There's blood involved in his offering. He understood what the animal skin covering was about. But the critical component for Abel that makes him so amazing for us is when Hebrews 11 in the New Testament lists these incredible people of old who are saved and justified by faith. It starts with Abel. Actually, the first faith is attributed to knowing and believing that God created the universe in his six days. That's the first thing we read in Hebrews 11, that God spoke it. Out of nothing, he made everything. That's the first testimony of faith. But the second one in verse 4 of Hebrews is Abel. So he's the, he's the front runner. He's the first one in the hall of fame, if you will. He's the first one in the hall of faith. He came in faith. He came with the first fruits. He came with the fat, and it came with blood. And God accepted his offering. He understood the principle of the just for the unjust, that to provide atonement, that which is innocent dies for that which is guilty. And he came with that offering, and it was accepted by the Lord. Cain came with the fruit. I mean, so Cain brought an offering. But the irony of Cain's offering, it's linked to, if you want to, you can link it to fig leaves. It's vegetation. There's no blood. There's no atonement for his sin. There's no blood. It's just the vegetation. There's no faith involved, and there's no blood involved, and it was rejected by God. So this is a powerful lesson that it really, in a lot of ways, Cain represents world religions. It's human efforts, philosophies, traditions, the things that Colossians 2 warns us about, not to be taken away by vain philosophies and empty traditions of men, humanistic philosophies, Darwinistic worldviews, Christ-rejecting atheistic agnostic worldviews, views that take away our sufficiency in Christ, for you are complete in him who is the head, Christ Jesus, Colossians 2.10. All the world religions, all the human philosophies, all things that fallen sons of Cain and Abel and Adam and Eve come up with, apart from a saving faith, with faith in God and what he's promised and what he's done, they're rejected by God. And Cain was rejected. 
He represents world religion and human philosophies. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved in the name of Jesus Christ. And it is through the blood of Jesus Christ, for we're told in the book of Hebrews that the blood of bulls and goats could not redeem us, but we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, who died once for all. He doesn't die over and over. That's why we're not going to Jerusalem on the Temple Mount offering up sheep and goats and heifers, okay? Because Christ died once for all. That sacrifice at Golgotha, the place of the skull, is once for all for our sufficiency for salvation through faith in him. And the Son of God is that acceptable sacrifice because it's a greater sacrifice. So Adam formed in the image of God sins, and the, it's, it's eternal death. So one, it's eternal life. Christ Jesus is the acceptable sacrifice to pay the price for that, for the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve. That's why the Bible says the blood of bulls and goats cannot redeem us. It could cover us, but why do you think the high priest went every year, every year on Yom Kippur, every year, over and over, the blood, then the scapegoat, and then this, and then that, because it was incomplete. That's why there's always another high priest, but when Christ came, it's the end of the Levitical priesthood. It's the end of the animal sacrificial system. He's a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, and he's, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He institutes the new covenant, the everlasting covenant. He did so on the last Passover feast when he gave his life to us on that very day. So Abel got it. Abel came by faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because those who come to him must believe he is, and he's the reward of those who diligently seek him. We'll see more of that next week when we see that Enoch walked with God and was not because he's also in Hebrews 11. He's the next guy. He's in chapter 5 of Genesis coming up. But the faith. Paul said we walk by faith. We're taught from Abraham, the father of faith, that we're justified by faith. So through faith in Jesus Christ, we're saved and receive Christ. Then we're called to a life of faith where he stretches us. And it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence not yet seen. So we receive eternal life by faith. We receive the promises by faith. And we live the life that we're meant to live in Christ by faith. We take steps of faith, and we're going to see that as we go through in this book. Because, again, we're going to get Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob. They're all, they're all in here in this book, and we're going to get them. And they're all lined up in Hebrews. We see them go on the Hall of Fame one by one, the men, the women. It's awesome. And we're going to get them in Genesis. But Abel is the leader, the leader by faith. And Cain's rejected, but he's got opportunity. See, if someone's willing to admit they're wrong in rejecting Christ and they can put their faith in Christ, they can be saved. But if they're determined to stick with their vegetables and their vegetation and unbelief, there is no hope for them. It's pretty much the equivalent of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because there's no hope. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come to faith in Christ. And look what the, we see as we go on in verse 6. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And I... If you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. But you, you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And that's what religion does. It kills faith. It kills faith in an individual. It kills faith in society. People who are justifying themselves through human-based religions, whatever they look like, they often attack and persecute people who are being saved by faith. Because it offends them. And that's what Paul said. If I cease preaching the cross, and the offense of the cross will cease. And it's the blood of Christ that is an offense. Because the blood of Jesus Christ says, you're not okay, and I'm not okay. And you can't just build any religion that you want or any smorgasbord that you want of world religions and put together a buffet and say, you're saved. We are told 
that if we could save ourselves, then Christ died in vain. But he did not die in vain, and that we can only be saved through faith in him is evident, and that Christ came and died for us. Jesus himself said in the Garden of Eden, if there's any other way. There was, there is no other way. This is the only way. And so Cain is faced with that choice. I can humble myself and bring the acceptable sacrifice, blood and faith, and I will be accepted. We're all accepted the same way. I'm no more accepted through faith in Jesus than you are. The great British preacher, Charles Spurgeon, said, it's an equalizer. We all come on our knees, and we all come through the narrow gate. We don't make it any wider than it is. We don't make it any narrower than it is. But few enter thereby, so don't lose track of that when you think about this planet. Wide and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many go thereby. Jesus said, few enter by the narrow gate. And Charles Spurgeon said, you come with a low ceiling, with humility. And Cain's problem was he couldn't humble himself and just come by faith. He's Cain, and he's superhuman. He's like Khan in Star Trek. He's a super being, if you know what I'm talking about. He's got it all. He's, he's, his DNA is awesome. No one tells Khan he's got to be saved by faith. He's Khan. That's what Cain's like. Abel came with a bent knee, bowed the knee in humility, blood, lamb, first fruits, the fat. Cain is like, here it is. And God warned him. He warned him. He warns world religions. You come by my way or you perish. It's that simple. And he warned Cain, if you do right, if you do right, come by faith. It's good with you. If you do not do right, sin lies at the door and it wants to rule over you. And that's what sin does. So whether people are, could care less about any concept of eternity and accountability and just live a, a frivolous, lewd life, Sin rules over them. Or whether they're really weird in their world religions and they act really weird and they do really weird things and maybe they're angry in their world religions and they kill people because their God's an angry God and they're angry, so they got a God in their own mind, so that makes them angry too. Whatever they do, sin rules over them. But see, if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. So we're free here tonight. When we partake of communion later on, it testifies to us, do this in remembrance of me because if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. All these world religions, people trying to earn their salvation and justify themselves before God. But we're told in Romans, by you know, these law, no flesh is justified before him. He saves us that no one can boast in his presence. God is a debtor to no man. We come through faith. As many as received him, he gave them the right to become the children of God, not born of flesh, not born of the will of men, but born of God, born again through faith in Jesus Christ. We must be born again. Jesus is the second Adam who saves us. Jesus really is represented by Abel's offering. Abel's offering with blood and sacrifice and faith really represents his faith in Jesus Christ, who was promised in verse 15 in the previous chapter and typed in verse 24 when the animal was shed his blood to cover his parents. This is that faith in the one who is to come. Remember, we're told in Colossians that all the Old Testament things are shadows of things to come, but the substance is Jesus Christ. This offering of Abel's is a shadow of things to come, but this offering points to Christ on the cross at Golgotha. That's literally it's where, where his faith is at. It's a preview. It's like the warm-up band. It's a prelude. It's a movie preview of coming attractions because this is where it's going. And in his faith, he's justified. Cain, he's warned, you can come this way, but if not, it's going to rule over you. And it did. He would not humble himself. We're told himself, Cain would not humble himself. We're told that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And that was it for Cain. Then we read on in verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, 
where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, that anyone finding him should kill him. How's that for mercy? You kill your brother who's in faith and you're in pride, and God still shows you mercy. It's like so many times in the Bible you see God's mercy on people where you just go, I can't believe it. Like Ahab and Jezebel, Ahab finds mercy. Like it's amazing certain people. Manasseh, the the evil king, found mercy and salvation actually. God is so merciful. It's amazing. And his mercies are new every morning. And I'm really grateful for that. I think we all are when I say yes and amen. We're grateful that his mercies. And with the merciful, he'll show himself merciful. But Cain found mercy. Because later on after the flood, God says you take a life, you lose your life. And in the law, he says you take a life, you'll lose your life. So before the Noah covenant pronounced after the flood, and then the Mosaic covenant, two covenants farther down the road with the nation of Israel, he should be executed capital punishment for taking his breath. This is first-degree murder. There's no question about it. And he should be executed for it. But God shows him mercy. But isn't it funny when we do evil that we don't... It says in Deuteronomy that God said, oh, that my people would consider the latter end. Like, we do things and don't really think about the consequences. But we're warning Galatians that if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, you'll reap life. Do not be deceived. God's not mocked. And throughout the Bible, the principle of sowing and reaping is so clear in giving and taking, how we treat people, how we want to be treated. I mean, it's universal. It's like gravity. It's, it's equal. It's even greater than gravity because gravity is the physical realm, but the principle of sowing and reaping is the spiritual realm that will transcend this dimension when we're out of it. So it's amazing to me how Cain kills someone. He's like, oh, my punishment is more than I can bear. And isn't that the way it is? Like, I can't believe all, like, if I, and that's where God said to Israel, if my people would just consider the latter end, we need to really think through our actions and what the consequences will look like. And we have to catch ourselves. Sin's desires rule over us. And unchecked, sin brings forth death. The book of James talks about it. Sin is conceived, and it brings forth death. Sin always destroys. And the flesh is never satisfied. It's a very lethal combination. But in this case, he went, came from being super fruitful as a tiller of the ground. In a post-thorns and thistles world, it'll bear for you from the previous chapter it yielded its increase. He was super fruitful. He was very successful at what he did. He's a supercomputer. He understands how it all works. He'd make the greatest botanist and agricultural people look like nothing. Like any education you could get right now at any college like Cal Poly San Luis Obispo or anything like that in Texas, all these colleges where you go to understand agriculture and these things, he, he's coming right out of the garden. And he's supercomputer, and it's yielding all this fruit. But what's it cost him? It costs him everything. He's got to go. He's got to. He's got to go. He's out. He's not going to be fruitful. And certain sins they'll cripple us. We may walk, but we may never fly like we used to fly. 
we need to really consider the latter end and the consequences. Christ can't forgive us anything, but society might put you away for five years, 10 years, 20 years. I spoke to a good friend today whose son flipped out on crystal meth years ago, and he killed some people when he's on crystal meth. He's a Calvary Chapel pastor. And the son's been in jail for years. And we prayed for his son for years before that when he's addicted to crystal meth and smoking weed and all these things. And uh, I got good news because he's at, he's at a, a prison. It happened in Hawaii, and he's at a prison in Arizona. And he's in the fellowship quad, they call it. And he's with all these believers, and they're good, upstanding citizens in the prison system. And they have a community where they're able to have a good, safe environment for them. And I said, is he going to be up for parole? And he goes, not anytime soon, right? Because there's people in Hawaii who lost loved ones because of what his son did when he was on drugs. Now, Jesus Christ can forgive him that very day. But society is going to hold you accountable. And that's the way it works. Cain's got to go. Vagabond means he has no home. And it's interesting because we're told that the believers are pilgrims. It's the opposite. See, a pilgrim is like, we're just passing through pilgrim's progress. Abraham and Sarah, joint heirs. They look for the city which had foundation whose builder and maker is God. They were tent dwellers. He could have built any palace in Jerusalem or Israel. He owned all Israel. God promised it to him. But he's a tent dweller. They're pilgrims. We're told in Hebrews 11 that they're sojourners. That's a positive because heaven is our home and we're passing through. In his case, he's a vagabond because heaven's not his home. And he's not just passing through. He, he can't even enjoy the things of the world, the consequence of his actions. He's without a home. He's like a sojourner, but the negative flip of that. And he says, it's more than I can bear. And God shows him mercy and puts a seal on him, lest anyone should kill him. You think, well, was everyone into killing? Yeah. Isn't our society into killing? Almost every TV show is like violent. Almost every movie is incredibly violent. I mean, think how many murders happen on the planet every day we don't even know about, let alone the ones in America that we do know about. Like, human beings kill each other. And nine out of ten murders are people killing people they know. When Jim Elliott went to the Aka Indians in Ecuador years ago, the, you know, tip of the spear of the famous story of Jim and Elizabeth Elliott, and he was killed by the Aka Indians, they were considered a Stone Age tribe, if you will. And they would have conflicts in their tribe. They'd spear. They called it spearing. They all had spears. That's how Jim Elliott died with Nate Saint and the, the five missionaries. Elizabeth Elliott goes into great detail because she eventually ministered to the Aka Indians and was instrumental. And in, in, she actually baptized one of the men who killed her husband years later. But they would spear. They call it spearing. So there'd be a little squabble in the village. Man, they just, the guy would walk over to the other guy and just spear him. It's in our DNA. We might be supercomputers, but we want the universe to revolve around us because we're one click short of being God in our own minds, in our original creation. And we want to rule the world. Remember the 80s song? Everyone wants to rule the world. And Cain wanted to rule the world. And now he's a vagabond. And the consequence of his sin is more than he can bear. But he brought it on himself. We read on in... So it just teaches us to really think about, count the cost of what we're doing. You know, when you count to 10, count down 10. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. 15, 14, 13. I count backwards from 15 in Spanish because I have to think a little bit. So slow it down. Come on, Pastor, reel it in, right? Sometimes I'll forget it, you know. Estoy muy enado. You know, <laughs> I'm really mad, right? You know, so. 
but we need to really think about it because that's what Deuteronomy says, that my people consider the latter end. And, or as my son-in-law, Nate Gallagher, says, who sends that email on the first day? Is maybe sit on that email. And a second day. And a third day. Then you edit like day five. And then day seven, like, I'm not going to send it. Give it to the Lord like an offering. First fruits of your frustration. We pick it up in verse 16. You got it. We got to learn to let it go. Sin wants to rule over us, but when we resist temptation, we submit to the Lord, he gives us victory. We were told in 1 Corinthians 15 to take every thought captive and obedient to him and by which we tear down strongholds. And so we, we fight that battle for the mind and we, we surrender things to the Lord. We work through all that emotion, just like walk away. Even a fool's kind of wise when they hold their peace. We just... The wrath of man produces not the righteousness of God. We just go for a walk, cool off, whatever it takes. Find a way. Find your little space, your safe space. Find it, get a hold of it, and submit it to the Lord. Verse 16, then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. So Enoch was born Arad, Arad begot Mehuzel, and Mehuzel begot Methuselah, and Mushael begot Lamech. Then Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, the name of the second was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabal, and he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the harp and the flute. And as for Zillah, she bore Tubal Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal Cain was Namah. Then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, wives of Lamech, listen to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Oh, the sons of men, the sons of Adam. It just, it just never ends, does it? So Cain goes out. He's a vagabond, but he's just going to build a city. It's almost as if he's trying to give his son something more than what he had. See, he brought on himself being a vagabond, but he builds a city and names it after his son. It's an interesting thought. But also we often worship our children and we exalt our children. We live vicariously through our children. So it's quite possible Enoch is just, that city I'm named after my son because that's what I would have done had I not killed my brother. Who knows? We don't know. But we know he built a city and said, I'm going to name it after my son. That's what men do, right? That's what women do. You know, you get a magazine, Call it your magazine, Oprah. You're on the cover every month. Why not? You can, so do it, right? You build cities, you name it after yourself. That's what you do. We're so close to being God, we want to build our monuments and say we are God. Look at me, I'm God. I'm greater than you. I'm more than you. I'm more powerful. I'm richer. I'm smarter. I'm wiser. I can sing better than you. I can dance better than you. I can write music better than you. Look at this guy. His brother was Jubal, the father of those who played the harp and the flute. Beethoven, Mozart, Tchaikovsky, all of them, all your best rappers, all your famous Russian poets, all your poets, all your women, all your men. This guy, can you imagine what he could sing and what he could play? I mean, seriously. Even with all the electronics that we have and all things you can do and noises you can make with music, what's DJing? It's just taking different noises and putting them together and creating things, right? So this guy is super human. Like, this guy is the founder of music. But it wasn't music to the Lord because music really preexisted in a different dimension with the Lord. And the songs we sing and we're going to sing, they go into eternity. The songs this guy sings, 
They might be top 40 on K-Earth 101 back in the day. They don't transcend eternity. They might be the human experience. Hey, good, sing about boys and girls. Great, broken hearts, bad guys, hate them, dump them, whatever, you know. You sing about whatever you want to sing. But I can assure you what Jack and Allie are leading us in singing. They're things that are for here and now and transcend this dimension. We can sing the songs we're singing in the next dimension. So, this is better. <laughs> you know, Jesus said, I can, they might have life in that more abundantly. And that's abundant life. I've spoken these things that your joy would be full. God is good all the time. So this is what the world gets. You know, it's like Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. Here's my song. I play it. You worship me. It's like, uh, we kind of don't go that way. Like, your podcast isn't the one we listen to on our free time. So you can throw us in the fire. You can do what you want to do. But that's not our beat. This is just the way it is. You know, the sons of Adam through Cain, this is what they do. And working with iron. So all we can build. Think about, like, um, Empire State Building when it was built. Incredible. You think about the tallest buildings in the world. Chicago, all these buildings. You look at Los Angeles. How do you do that? Well, this guy, descendant of Cain, iron and bronze. Like He's like, he's way ahead of the curve. If we could do this now, can you imagine what they were doing before the flood and what, how it was and the efficiency of it? It's amazing to think, like, again, these are not like, these are supercomputers. These guys were one click short of having all the capacities that we've lost in many ways and a different world than when we live in. It's amazing. So the perpetuation of unbelief, though, is really sad. So this is an ungodly line, and it's from this line that judgment will come, and their descendants become so bad, so their knowledge of what they do with music, what they do with iron. And you know what? God has a design for one man, one woman. And this guy is just like, hey, uh, Lamech goes, I like, I take. You know what it says? I take. What's the difference between Lamech and his two wives? He took two wives with Adam. What did God do with Adam? He brought Eve to him. It's far better to let God give you what he's got for you than you taking more than what's yours, and it's not even yours in the first place. You know me, I always see the word take, and I always see the word give. I'm like, ooh, he took, he took two wives. Hey, I'm Lamech. No one tells me I take two wives. I take you and you. And then he kills a young man who hurt him, and he tells his wives, hey, wives, come here. Like he's posting on social media. He hurt me, and I killed him. And if Cain, my great-great-grandfather, would be avenged, me 70 times more. See, he has to be better than Cain. He has to be more avenged than Cain. It's crazy. This is what sin does. This is the pride of humanity. But here we end with the good news of this chapter, and it is beautiful, these last couple of verses. It's like chapter 3. It's like, oh, man, that's not good. That's bad. That's bad. Not good. Very bad. And then all of a sudden, hey, Genesis 3.15. Hey, Genesis 3.24. That's good. That's good. Okay, and we get good here. We got good at the beginning of the chapter, Abel, faith, blood. Now we get good at the end of the chapter. And Adam, verse 25, knew his wife again. She bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. That is one of the most beautiful verses of the Bible. Because this pre-flood world existed for about 1,500 years, the primeval world. And as it advanced, and these superhumans lived sometimes, you know, 800, 900 years. Stronger DNA, stronger environment, everything was better. Like when you see L.A. in a smog, like today, it went like that, okay? The bodies were stronger, the cellular structure, everything's been breaking down, and it was all stronger. 
And you think of evil men in history, like say Hitler and Stalin or Pol Pot with the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia. You think of men that people unilaterally agree are very evil men, or women for that matter. And can you imagine living for hundreds of years? Can you imagine if Hitler, like Hitler had basically had a run from we wrote Mein Kampf in 1927, whatever, came to power through the, you know, the Birhar push thing that happened like 31, 33, came to more power, uh, you know, the Night of Crystals like 33, 34, yeah, and then boom, by 36, en enters Sudeten land, then he goes, annexes Austria, then he moves into Czechoslovakia, then he bombs Poland. So he had about a 15-year run before he basically blew up the whole world, right? I mean, just brought the world war that killed like 80 million people. That's what one evil man could do, perpetuate, of course, Stalin killed millions too at the same time. But that's what, in, in just a matter of like one decade, two decades, well, Stal well Stalin got moving with Trotsky and Lenin and like the Bolshevik revolution, the Reds against the whites, and then he put all those people in the gulags and all that, like the 20s, early 30s, then got him out of prison because they needed him for the war to fight the Germans when they were coming on the Eastern Front. But basically, these guys killed millions of people. They had 15, 20-year runs, and their legacy still affects this planet profoundly to this day, let alone like Mao Zedong in China, these, where China's at. What's your point, Joy? I'm saying these guys lived 15, 20 years. Can you imagine those people if they lived hundreds of years? with their supercomputer minds. That is why in Genesis 6, God says his thoughts and intents are only evil and there was no hope for humanity. God pronounced in Genesis 6, we'll see it, I am done, completely eradicated. The whole experiment of time, space, and matter of the universe, I am done because his thoughts and intents are only evil. But somehow we're going to read Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's amazing. And the line of Noah comes through this line. Jesus Christ comes through this line. Our redemption comes through this line, and our faith is yoked with this line. Narrow is the gate that leads to life, and we are yoked with Seth. For where one man fails, God will give another man or woman the opportunity. And in Adam, all sin and die, but the second Adam, Jesus Christ, came through Seth. And you can kill Abel in a certain amount of self-determination in this universe, but God's sovereignty will reign and will have the final say over everything in this universe. And Eve's like, the Lord's appointed me for another man. I had a man, now I have another man. And we understand, well, it's like the book of Esther. When um, Mordecai says to Esther, hey, who knows if God has determined this is your time, but know this, deliverance will come, whether it's for you or another place. God and the cross knows all about plan B to deal with plan A failures. If the time, space, and matter is a chessboard, you can be sure Jesus Christ is the king. And he knows the moves to put in check sinful humanity, evil men, and evil governments because God is good, and he does good, and he's perfectly just. And when we step into eternity, not one single injustice that has ever happened in this universe as we know it will not be set straight completely and thoroughly before his throne for all the ages in the new heaven and the new earth. And I just say yes and amen. So Seth was born and from him, when his child was born, men began to call on the Lord. So it's just like our world. The whole world's at war with God, and yet here it is. There's a godly line where people are seeking the Lord, calling on the Lord, and serving the Lord. This is the legacy. This is the baton we've received in the relay race of life. It's the baton of faith. It's the genealogy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but also it's the legacy of the men and women who came before us and the lives they lived. And you got to stop for a second before we go on to communion and think about Eve, her understanding through the animal sacrifice. God has appointed another man for me. Like when God took the fig leaves and says, that's not going to work, but this will, the animal skin. 
and hear the heartache of her one son killing another son and having to work through that and the, all the, the decades of the heartache that would be, the years, whatever, and then now here and seeing what Cain did in his world and his descendants, and yet God gives her Seth, and he's godly. And then she, he gives her a grandson through Seth that men call upon the name of the Lord. How good and merciful and gracious is the Lord. It's awesome. So in the midst of chaos, there's always peace for the women and men of faith who look to the Lord and trust in the Lord and choose obedience and come under the blood, come with faith, make good decisions to their own benefit and pass them on to the next generation that's coming behind them. And that never changes. It's a very short journey we're on. We're not vagabonds or sojourners. And we're not those who are stiff-necked in unbelief. We want to be those who are tender-hearted and live by faith and say, yes, Lord, here I am, Lord. Send me where you have me go.